Welcome to another episode of The Warning Woods. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it five stars and writing a review. Reviews help spread the podcast to more listeners. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Warning Woods. I'm Miles Thomas Tridel, and this story is called Founders Hosts. My family moved to Christmas, Montana this past summer. Never heard of it? Neither had I. It's a tiny little town that's main attraction is affordable real estate. My parents dragged my eight-year-old brother Jacob and I out here for a change of scenery. My mom is able to work remotely, and my dad wanted to give Jacob and I a chance to grow up outside of the city. Mission accomplished. We were about 45 minutes from any sort of civilization, so the small community helps support each other. They're friendly, kind people. I suppose it would be hard to survive out here if you weren't nice to your neighbors. The town of Christmas has many traditions surrounding the Christmas holiday. There are home decoration and snowman building competitions. There's a bake sale to raise money for the school. It can use all the help it can get. The only church in town hosts services and events for all ages. No one around here seems particularly religious, but just about everyone participates. It's something to do, I guess. The Christmas festivities reach their peak on December 24th, Christmas Eve. The church holds service at 5 in the evening. All the families bring food for a potluck immediately following the service. The whole building is filled with delicious aromas. It's easy to get distracted while Pastor Garrett delivers the message, though. I think Pastor Garrett knows everyone's stomachs are speaking louder than him because he keeps the message brief and dismisses everyone to the feast afterwards. The potluck is a jolly event. There's far more food than necessary, so everyone eats far more than necessary. Adults read Christmas stories to entertain children, and there's a dance. It's not the liveliest dance, since most have entered semi-conscious food comas by that point, but there's still a fun atmosphere. Since this year was my family's first in Christmas, all of this was new to us. We thought the event was over when the music faded and everyone found a seat to digest in, but the town's mayor, Hank Schaller, took the podium and everyone grew quiet. As most of you know, this evening is special to Christmas for two reasons, he said. The first is, of course, the celebration of our town's namesake. Nods and mumbled approval spread throughout the room. The second is Naomi's famous brownies, Mayor Schaller broke out in a grin. He waited for the laughter to die down before continuing. No, as incredible as they are, there is something besides brownies to celebrate this evening. For on this night, almost two centuries ago, our little town was born. Four brave settlers made their way up north to found a hunting community that could provide the larger settlements with game and furs. Their names were Richard and Charlotte Beck, Sam Johnson, and Peter Clark. A few townsfolk cheered at the mention of these names. The community clearly revered their history. These four intrepid spirits built the first structures on this very land. They managed to construct two log cabins, build a tool shed, and dig cold storage for meat just as winter settled in. In a journal entry, we learned that on Christmas Eve, they dedicated this town to Jesus Christ and named it Christmas in celebration of him. Unfortunately, they would learn how brutal a Montana winter can be shortly after this momentous occasion.
Mayor Schaller's voice took on a grim tone. No one made a sound as he paused briefly. I shifted forward and put my elbows on my knees, resting my chin in my hands. Sam Johnson was the first victim of the harsh elements. A blizzard caught him as he retrieved water for the others. They didn't find him for nearly an entire day and, when they did, he was frozen solid. Mumbles of condolence rose from the crowd. The remaining three carried on for about a month before tragedy struck again. This time it would claim Richard Beck, poor Charlotte's husband. He went into the forest to hunt, but instead became prey. We don't know what kind of animal did him in, but Peter wrote that by the time they found Richard, his boots were all that could identify the man. Charlotte didn't get to grieve for long. She became ill shortly after Richard's death. Between the cold and scarcity of food, she didn't have much of a chance to recover. She succumbed to her sickness alone. Peter held out admirably. He hunted and collected water all on his own. It's estimated he survived until late February when, tragically, he broke his ankle on a hunting expedition. The injury gradually worsened, grew infected. He died in one of the cabins. He was found only a few days later by the next group of settlers to inhabit Christmas. Despite their tragic end, we have our founders to thank for this town's existence today. Besides our beautiful community, they left us with one more treasure. Mayor Schaller stooped to pick something up from behind the podium. He re-emerged holding a wreath made of twisted dead branches. There wasn't a speck of green on the thing. I thought it looked more like the crown of thorns Jesus wore to his death than a birthday decoration. This wreath was constructed by Charlotte Beck the day our town was named. It hung from her door until she died. Somehow, it has been preserved throughout the centuries. He paused awkwardly as if he had just uttered a heinous lie. I noticed a few in the crowd staring at their shoes like the laces had just said something hurtful. Before I could speculate about why, the mayor continued. Those of you who have lived here long enough know one family will be lucky enough to hang this very wreath on their door for Christmas. Lucky, a gruff man in the back muttered sardonically. His wife tugged at his shirt and gave him a stare that would have scared a man twice his size. The mayor ignored him. Could I have the bowl? He asked a woman in the front row. She produced a large glass bowl from beneath her chair. Slips of paper filled it nearly to the brim. Mayor Schaller swirled his hand, sifting through the paper slips until fate guided his fingers to the chosen one. He drew it, read the name, and smiled. Chris Welder, he announced. My dad smiled and stood up. It would be the last time he smiled that night. The four of us buzzed with excitement on the chilly walk home that night. Being chosen for such a meaningful tradition seemed like a great step towards integrating with the town. People waved at us as we walked. Some offered smiles, but they seemed strangely insincere to me. Dad must have noticed this too, because he assured us, saying, They must be jealous of the newbies. The first thing Dad did when we got home was put the biggest nail he could find into the center of the front door. The mayor said we need to hang this thing right away and keep it up all night, he explained. With the wreath hung, we went inside for our own Christmas traditions, including hot chocolate stirred with candy canes, warm pajamas, and watching Home Alone. Jacob and Dad fell asleep halfway through the movie. 
I found myself drifting off too when our front door suddenly burst open. Mom shrieked, waking Dad. He looked from her to the gaping door. Who's there? He asked. No one replied. A little snow blew in through the open door and we decided whoever came in last must not have pushed it shut all the way, allowing the wind to blow it open. Dad shut the door and clicked the deadbolt in place. Then we shut off the movie and turned in for the night. I woke up at 12.31 a.m. At first, I didn't know what had disturbed my sleep. I didn't need to use the bathroom. The temperature in the room was comfortable. I was comfortable. Then I heard a soft thud from downstairs. As I listened, it came again and again, softly pounding the peaceful blanket of night. Jacob? I remembered the sleepless excitement Christmas Eve brought me when I was his age. I got out of bed to try and convince him to play in his own room where he wouldn't keep the rest of us awake. I passed his room on my way to the stairs. His door was closed, but that didn't register at the time. From the stairs, I could see a soft glow from the kitchen casting shadows through the living room. It grew and spread, then vanished each time with a punctuating thud. I peeked around the corner and saw the source of both the sound and light. The refrigerator. Its door kept swinging wide open, pausing, then slamming shut. All on its own. I stood there hugging the wall for a moment. I questioned whether I had woken up at all. Was I dreaming? The fridge door slammed once more, staying shut this time. Still, I remained glued to the wall, holding my breath. Then the door burst wide open, slamming into the counter. All the contents of the fridge flew out, spilling and breaking open on the floor. Cracked eggs and leaking milk jugs slid under the table, against the walls. Then the freezer exploded in the same way. A frozen turkey flew across the room, shattering a porcelain vase serving as a centerpiece on the table. I screamed, Mom! Dad! But I didn't need to. My parents were already stumbling out of their bedroom in robes. They rushed down the stairs to see what all the commotion was. Garrett, what the hell did you do? My dad bellowed. Nothing, I swear. All the food just fell out. I was standing here the whole time. I saw it. I begged my parents to believe me, but nothing I said could convince them. Nothing, that is before our Christmas tree appeared directly behind us. Chris, that wasn't there when we came down, was it? Mom asked Dad. He scratched his head. As he reached a hand out to touch the tree, it started shaking violently. Ornaments rattled and fell to the floor, many of them shattered, turning the whole living room into a sort of minefield. Get upstairs, Dad ordered. Whatever shook the tree didn't like that plan. Dropping more delicate ornaments, the tree turned on its side and rolled in front of the stairs. Mommy? Jacob's terrified voice made us all look up. Stay there, Jake. Just stay in your room, okay? Said Mom. The TV began switching on and off. We saw the final scene of Home Alone in tiny flashes like a stop-motion slideshow. What do we do? Call the police? Mom asked, sounding like she knew the idea was worthless. Dad stepped carefully around broken glass, wincing a couple times in the strobing effect from the TV. He unplugged the haywire appliance and sighed with momentary relief. We all jumped as something pounded the front door three times. Don't worry, I'm here to help. I recognized the gruff voice on the other side of the door. Dad walked quickly as he could through the chaotic mess between him and the front door. He opened it slowly and revealed the man from the meeting the grumbling man from the back of the room. 
Please, come in. We don't... The man raised a hand, silencing my dad as he walked through the door. He nodded seriously at the rest of us. Where's your kitchen? He asked. Mom pointed him in the right direction. He crushed shards of ornaments under his boots as he made his way into the kitchen. All of the food still lay spread across the floor. He stooped and picked up a few containers of leftovers. Without saying a word, he placed them in the microwave and turned it on. Mom and Dad exchanged worried glances. I'm guessing they and I wondered the same thing. Did we just add to our troubles by letting a crazy man into the house? The microwave beeped, and the man set the containers, four of them, on the table. He grabbed four forks, spoons, and knives from a drawer and set them next to each container, removing their lids as he went around the table. Then he filled four cups with the precious bit of milk remaining in the spilled containers and put those in the place settings. Let's leave them be, he said, motioning for us to settle in the living room. Mom grabbed a broom on her way out of the kitchen and brushed a path through the dangerous fragments. Dad moved the Christmas tree so Jacob could get off the stairs. We all sat down, my family cramming onto the couch, the man taking the lazy boy in the corner. When my rear end sunk into the warm, comforting cushion, I realized the unexplainable happenings had ended when the man arrived. I looked up and saw him staring at me. He read the confused look on my face with perfect accuracy. You just gotta take care of him, he said. Of who? Mom asked. The founders. The air seemed to leave the room. Perfect stillness settled in around us with a crushing weight. The man took a moment to study each of our faces. I know it sounds crazy, the man continued, but so is everything that's happened to you tonight, right? The people in this town know how it works. They know the ritual. The mayor should have explained it to you, but I think I know why he didn't. I'll get to that. Mom nervously delayed whatever we were about to hear by asking, Do you need anything to drink? No, the man replied. Better to let the founders enjoy their meal undisturbed. Mom sat back and nestled into Dad's shoulder. The mayor left out some important bits of the story. Remember Charlotte Beck? What the mayor referred to as an illness was actually pregnancy. Scarcity of food, water, and medical attention did kill her. But she wasn't quite alone, like he said. She had her baby. She died in childbirth, and Peter Clark found the kid the next day. Everything that happened afterward is true. The next group of settlers did find Peter's body shortly after his own death, but next to it, that little baby boy rested in a blanket-covered wreath. At this point, the man pointed to the front door. We all nodded to acknowledge the implication. The child grew up healthy and strong. The villagers held on to the wreath as a symbolic memorial of the founders. They hung it on the front of the church, but a sinister pattern emerged. Every Christmas morning, they arrived at church to find the pews overturned, the pulpit knocked over, candle wax rubbed all over the walls, etc. When the child was old enough to talk, he told the priest his mommy and daddy were trashing the church with their friends. The story is a little fuzzy here, but somehow the villagers figured out the wreath was connected to the hauntings. They made a pact to take turns hanging the wreath on their own front door every Christmas Eve. Each family would host the founders in turn. Over time, they learned feeding and watering the spirits tended to keep them happy. And thus, 
our little tradition was born. Wait, Dad said, shaking his head. If all of this is true, why wouldn't the mayor have explained it to us? Why make us figure it out on our own? The man sighed, also shaking his head. He said, This town continues to be run by the descendants of the Becks. Cancer claimed Mrs. Schaller, who served as mayor before her husband under her maiden name, Beck. He paused to give the name some space. The Beck family has sort of worshipped the Founders' spirits over the decades. They don't like how the rest of us keep them at bay. Interesting, they've never just invited the ghosts over to their own homes. How do we get rid of them? asked Dad. The man replied, what time is it? Almost two, said Mom. Give them some time. You'll see. We remained in the living room for almost two hours. The man told us more about the Beck family and our town's history. Charges of witchcraft had arisen more than once during the early days of Christmas. Accusations of nepotism and attempts to remove the Beck family from town leadership had been tried and failed numerous times. For some reason the man couldn't explain, the community kept electing Richard and Charlotte's descendants into office. It's a nice place to live overall, he said. You come to abide the bad for the sake of the good. He had no more uttered those last words when the front door burst open. A rush of icy wind blew past us, but in the wrong direction. Rather than blow toward us from the door, it blew out the door and into the night. The door slammed shut once more, and the air was still again. We all looked to the man with questioning eyes. He smirked and seemed to relax in the lazy boy. He shut his eyes, tipped his head back, and said, Merry Christmas. You can support The Warning Woods by clicking the anchor support link in the description or by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. Of course, the best way to help is by writing a review and following this podcast in Apple Podcasts or subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening.